1: earth is filled with the glory let it be so this morning lord and may we see it afresh this morning as your holy spirit moves within us we invite you to join with us in a mighty way lord i pray that you just shake the foundations of our very souls and our hearts this morning to hear your word newly and with a fresh desire to see you and to hear you and lord i pray that you would do a mighty work this morning through the singing the praying the preaching the listening the reading of your word Lord, may we respond as you've called us to, as we celebrate your presence and express our love to you. We pray in the name of your Son. God's people said? Amen. Amen. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we are yours, unworthy servants. We give you most humble and hearty thanks for all of your goodness, all of your loving kindness to us and to all people. Lord, we bless you for our creation, our preservation, and all the blessings of this life. But above all, Father, for your inestimable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we beseech you, Father, give us that due sense of all your mercies, that our hearts may be infinitely thankful, and that we would show forth your praise not only with our lips, but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days through jesus christ our lord to whom with thee and the holy spirit be all honor and glory amen well good morning for those of you who don't know me my name is dustin i am the pastoral intern here and every once in a while i get the privilege to preach and i'm always excited so i forgot my bible Jeez. That's what happens when you drink too much coffee and don't eat enough. Good grief. Well, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We are just still making our way through the first chapter of Mark. And I'm really excited because I love going through the Gospels because we get to look at Jesus. Uh, and that's really what we want to do in Mark. That's what Mark's doing. We're going to look at Jesus this morning. And so I want to invite you, especially this morning, is really for the whole series, but particularly for this morning, is as we see Jesus this morning and we look at a a very interesting, amazing story about Jesus, I want to invite you to see it with fresh eyes, especially if we've grown up in church. But even if we haven't, we've heard these stories, you know, we know Jesus does miracles, we know Jesus casts out demons, things like this, we can come to the text in a way that we just go, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I've heard, okay, that makes sense. Um, But I want to invite you this morning to kind of place yourself in the first century, in the time, in the synagogue we're going to see, and be among the people who are are witnessing this for the first time and how amazing it is. So I just want to invite you this morning to maybe reset and kind of see this story with fresh eyes. Try to feel the emotions going on at the time. I think sometimes we view the Bible as a very dry book, and it's not because of the Bible, it's because of the way we look at it. Um, So let's look at it with fresh eyes this morning. So before we kind of get where we're going, I want to take a look back at where we've been so far in chapter 1. So, I've said it once, I've said it a million times. If we get so focused on just the text that we're on this morning, sometimes we fail to place it within the bigger picture. We kind of miss the larger point that Mark is trying to make. And really that's true for any book of the Bible, but especially when we have a narrative flow going throughout. Again, you would never pick up a regular book and just read a paragraph and put it down. It just doesn't make sense. So we're going to try to place it within the larger picture here in in chapter 1. And that's just what I want to do. I want to hold up Jesus this morning, like I was saying. That's really my point this morning, is help us understand the text better, but really to just hold up Jesus for us to look at. Examine who Jesus is by what he does. You may have noticed so far, but Mark is not as much focused on what Jesus says. Maybe like Matthew or the Gospel of John give these long teachings of Jesus. Mark really shows us who Jesus is by what he does. And So we're going to look at this morning, I want to just behold Jesus our Savior, see what we can learn about him through what he does. I just love these stories of Jesus. We get such a real picture of who he is, again, not just by his word, but by his deeds. It's amazing. We get to see him interacting with everyday people in his culture. We get to see what he likes, what he dislikes. We see his compassion, his gentleness towards the weak. We see his anger towards those who are taking advantage of other people. We see his power. We see his authority and so much more. But really, we get to see Jesus, and it's very amazing. This morning, I don't want to just look at Jesus simply because it's what I want to do or because I think it's great, but because that's what Mark wants us to do. And so as we're in Mark, you know, what we do is, as preachers, what we do as Christians, as we come to the Bible, we want to understand the Bible for what the author is trying to tell us. And what Mark is trying to tell us is, look at Jesus. This is who Jesus is. He tells us this at the very beginning of his gospel. In the first verse, he says, this is the beginning of the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I want you to remember that this morning. That that's Mark's main theme for the whole book. The reason I'm writing this book is so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, Messiah, the Son of God. And remember, Christ, that title, Messiah, means anointed king. That's what it means. And so Jesus is the anointed king. The king that has been sent by God and anointed with the Holy Spirit himself. Anointed with God's authority himself. This is what Christ means. And that is who Mark, and really all of scripture, but especially Mark, is trying to show us that Jesus is. The anointed king. He's going to try to prove that to us. He's going to build a cumulative case through all these different stories. And so, how has Mark shown us this so far? Well, remember we've seen what does every king need? A king needs a herald king needs someone that goes before them. You know, you've seen him in the movies. Hear ye, hear ye. The king says, here comes the king. The king is coming. It's time to get your act together. Well, we saw that in John the Baptist. But Jesus isn't just the king. He's the anointed king. And so we saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him at his baptism. We heard the very voice of God the Father declare to him, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. We also saw, as we know, That every king has someone who wants to prevent him from coming to the throne. And so we watched as Jesus was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit to contend with Satan himself for 40 days. Tempted, tested, and hungry, he emerged victorious, ready to begin his ministry. And so he came into Galilee proclaiming his message, the gospel, the good news of God. And so we heard him bring this message we heard him bring the authority of God when he heard him say, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, believe the good news. In other words, the king is here, time is fulfilled. So we saw that the first example of people doing exactly that, responding in repentance and faith, as he calls his first disciples. Remember last week we looked at that. He sees Andrew, Simon, James, and John, and he simply says, follow me, and they drop their nets and they follow him. They left their families and immediately followed after him. And so that's where we're at in the story. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king. So let's look at him this morning. So grab your Bible, turn to Mark 1, 21 through 28. and Read along with me. It says this, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So before we dive into this passage, a couple of preemptory remarks. This morning is not going to be Demonology 101. I think some people kind of take this passage and could just use it as a launching pad. Let's just talk about demons and all the crazy stuff and all that. I'm not going to go into it this morning because I don't think that's the point of what Mark's trying to say. And so, you know, We're not going to talk about demons and demon possession and all these different things. Some people are fascinated by that, which I love what C.S. Lewis says about demons. He says, As believers, we can fall into two extremes. We can either be obsessed with it, which isn't good, or we can pretend like it just doesn't exist, which isn't good either. And so we just land right in the middle where Scripture lands. And so all we need to know about demons is this the Bible teaches that Satan is real, demons are real, and that they are at work in the world. Demons are simply fallen angels who followed Satan in his rebellion against God, and they are at work trying to thwart the work of God in the world, trying to deceive people away from belief in Jesus Christ. And as we have seen, and will see, Jesus takes that very personally. 1 John 3.8 says that the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And I say amen to that. So to get the full picture of what's really going on in this passage, we'll need a little bit of background information so we're in Capernaum. Capernaum is a, not a small village. Capernaum was about 10,000 people, a big enough village that it even had a Roman garrison of soldiers. And so when we're picturing the synagogue here in Capernaum, it's probably bigger than actually here. We've got a city of 10,000 mostly Jewish people. Uh, they had a pretty decent sized congregation. And a synagogue was actually very similar to a modern Christian church in the sense that synagogues started in Judaism. You may notice you've never heard the term synagogue. You've never seen a synagogue in the Old Testament. You may wonder, well, why are Jews meeting in synagogues? I've never seen that before in the Old Testament. Synagogues started in Judaism when the Israelites were brought out of Jerusalem and into captivity in Babylon. And obviously Jewish worship, Jewish religion centered around the temple in Jerusalem. Well, when they were in Babylon away from the temple, they kind of started to say, well, what do we do? We still want to be faithful to God. We still want to here the scriptures read to us, so let's just gather in groups and do just that. And so that's what they started to do. So being away from the temple, they couldn't do their sacrifices, they couldn't do all the festivals and such as they used to, and so striving to remain faithful, they began to meet in small groups in houses around Babylon. Well, of course, after they came back into the land of Israel, after the exile, they continued this practice. Capernaum, we learned last week, is near Galilee, about 70 miles north of Jerusalem, so they couldn't travel down there every Sunday. And so they met in houses. They met in synagogues, which really is a Greek word that just means gathering, much like church, ecclesia. And so, like I said, a typical synagogue service didn't really look that much different from one of ours. They had Torah or scripture reading, singing. They had elders, sermons, electric guitars. Okay, just kidding. But I just want to see if you're paying attention. So it appears that this particular Sabbath, which is their kind of Sunday, all they they did on Saturdays, their Sabbath, that the elders of this synagogue had invited Jesus to teach. He didn't just storm into the synagogue and start teaching. That's not what happened. The elders would invite people to teach. This time, it seems that Jesus was a respected teacher, and so teach he did. As he began to teach, Mark tells us that the congregation was astonished at his teaching. It's interesting, the word that Mark uses here for astonished, it's a strong form of astonishment. You could even say they were in shock. They were dumbfounded. They were struck with awe. They were amazed to the point of being overwhelmed. That's really important to understand. It wasn't astonished just like, oh, wow, you know, that was a really good sermon. They were like, what is this? What is going on? It's not just like they heard Jesus preach a really good sermon. It's not just like he was a really good teacher. It was something different. It was something new that they weren't used to. They had never heard anyone teach like this. You may remember in the Gospel of John, there's a passage where the Jewish Sanhedrin send one of their guys to go arrest Jesus and he comes back empty-handed without Jesus and they say, what happened? He said, you guys don't understand. No one has ever spoken like this man. He couldn't arrest him. He went to arrest him and as he heard Jesus teaching, he was just like they were, astonished. He said, no one ever spoke like this man. This was nothing they had ever heard before. So what was so astonishing, so shocking, so new about Jesus' teaching? Well, Mark tells us it's because of this, that Jesus taught as one who had authority. Apparently, the normal teachers here at the synagogue, the scribes, did not teach like this. He says, he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Again, Jesus taught in a new kind of way. Now, the scribes were well-respected members of Jewish society. They were the teachers. They were the lawyers. They would read the scriptures, interpret the scriptures. Not everyone could read. Not everyone could do these things. And so they would teach the scriptures to the people. They would read the scriptures to the people. They would interpret them for them. They would teach the traditions of the Jewish people to them. They were the theologians of the day. But they didn't teach like this. He did not teach with authority like Jesus taught, as one who had authority. Mark does something very significant in the wording of this text. And I missed it the first 15 times I read it. This is the thing that's different about Jesus' teaching. It's not that Jesus taught with authority. He did. But that's not what astonished them. The scribes obviously taught with authority. I mean, they were teaching what they believed and what we believed to be the word of God, the Torah, which is the Old Testament. So obviously they believed that that had authority and they would proclaim it as authoritative over people, but that wasn't what Jesus was doing. The difference is this, whereas the scribes taught as the word had authority, Jesus taught as one who had authority within himself. He taught as one who was authoritative just by being who he was. He taught as one who had authority, not who one who knew a authority to talk about or one who thought that this had authority, but one who had authority within himself. Now this was so shocking to people, because you have to understand, when scribes would teach, they would cite other rabbis, they would talk about other opinions that people had, they would you know quote scriptures and things like this. Jesus came up and just started teaching as if he knew what he was talking about, as if he was an authority on the subject, as if he didn't need to cite any other traditions, he didn't need to cite any other people, He had the authority within himself. This is what shocked the Jewish people. He didn't just teach as if God's word was authoritative. He taught as one who carried the same authority as God's word. That is shocking. That is astonishing. And that is why they had never heard anyone teach like this. So when Jesus stood up and taught, everyone could immediately tell that something was different. Again, it's not in exactly what he was teaching. It's how he taught. Because you'll notice that Mark doesn't even tell us what he was teaching. Mark just says that he was teaching and they were astonished. So obviously the point that Mark's trying to make is not what Jesus was saying, but how he was saying it. And everyone could see that. What is this? What is this? Again, Mark wants to show us that it's not necessarily relevant what Jesus is saying at this point, but how he's saying it. But Matthew in his gospel gives us a great example of Jesus' teaching as one who had authority. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember the formula that Jesus repeats over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. It goes like this. He says, you have heard it said, da-da-da-da-da, but I say to you, da-da-da-da-da. And so what he's doing there is he's quoting the Bible. I mean, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting interpretations of the Old Testament. He's quoting traditions of the Jews. And he's saying, you've heard it said this way. Okay, that's great. But I say this. No one taught like that before. I mean, imagine if I said to you, okay, yeah, I understand Mark saying this to you, but I'm going to tell you something else. That's how Jesus taught. No one had ever taught like that before. So, for example, in Matthew 5, 43 through 44, we read in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's not that Jesus was contradicting the Old Testament. He wasn't. He was giving an authoritative interpretation of what the text meant. You see, the Pharisees had thousands of years of traditions and all these interpretations that they had built up around the text. Jesus threw those all aside in one fell swoop by saying, yeah, I don't care about that. I'll tell you what it means, and here's what it means. And so Jesus comes as one who carries the authority of the word of God within himself and one who carries the authority to bring an interpretation That's authoritative. And again, it's not just what he says, but how he says it that leaves the people just utterly amazed. They haven't seen anything like that. And you'll see that throughout Mark, really. Again and again, you'll see the reaction of the people is, and they were amazed, and they were astonished, and they were astonished, and they were amazed. Everywhere Jesus goes, they'll be amazed by the way he teaches. So Jesus doesn't even blink twice, claiming to have authority over interpretation of Torah, Old Testament, and over traditions of the elders. That's an astonishing claim to authority. That's kingly authority. He actually acted like he had it within himself. Mark tells us that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed king. I say, look closely, brothers and sisters. We're seeing the king in action. We're seeing him act like a king right now. So Jesus is teaching like this. And the people are essentially sitting in a synagogue like this. Probably wouldn't have been that much different, maybe a little smaller. They're essentially sitting there with their jaws on the floor. They're astonished. They've never seen anything like this. They've never heard anything like this. They're shocked. They're dumbfounded. They're astonished. They had no clue at this point who Jesus was or what is going on. But there was one among them who knew exactly who he was and knew exactly what was going on. And so, recognizing an old foe, he could keep silent no longer. And so, Mark tells us that all of a sudden, a man with an unclean spirit, which is just a, another word for demon, cries out in the middle of the church service. And Luke kind of adds that he just has this like cry, like ah, you know, he's a demon for some reason, and demons are always screaming. He says, I mean, they are. Look at it. And the word that Mark uses here for he cried out is like he yelled out, screamed out in the middle of the service. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He screams in the middle of the church service, in the middle of Jesus' teaching. Talk about being astonished. I mean, the people are already astonished enough by Jesus' teaching. Now this guy's screaming at Jesus these strange words. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. In the Greek, the you is kind of emphasized. It's almost like you can hear the demon saying, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, the demon couldn't keep silent anymore. He's terrified. See, the people were astonished by Jesus. The demon was terrified by Jesus. He knew what coming into contact with Jesus meant. And so he screams and essentially says, it's basically an idiom that means, what business do you have here with us? Go away and leave us alone. Why are you bothering us here? Talk about an awkward moment in church. You can imagine the scene, just silence after that. I mean, Jesus is already teaching. the people are astonished. They are kind of going, "What is going on right now? They're, they're kind of just in a weird state. Now this guy's screaming at Jesus, calling him the Holy One of God. There's just silence. You can almost hear that Western like gunfighter music like doo you know? I mean, there's, this is like, this is going to be a showdown, is kind of what's going on. People are screaming. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But again, hear that, like, see it for a fresh this time. I mean, this is intense. And so there's this showdown that's just been set up. And what is most likely going on here with the demon using Jesus' name and calling him the Holy One of God, most scholars believe that in ancient exorcism practices, it's what people would try to do, because there were Jewish exorcists before Jesus with varying levels of success. It was more of like a magical thing. It wasn't really a spiritual thing. But what they believed was that if you could know the name of a demon, you could gain power over it. You could gain some sort of power. So there's this kind of idea that by the demon saying, I know who you are, he's trying to gain the upper hand on Jesus. He's kind of launching a preemptive attack and saying, I've got to try to do something here. So by showing Jesus that he has knowledge of who he is, he's trying to assert authority over Jesus. And as we're going to see, that's not going to go too well for him. In the spiritual battle then, he's coming at Jesus. It doesn't work, not even remotely. In verse 25, Jesus responds harshly. It says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Five little words in Greek. Essentially, what he's saying is, shut your mouth and come out of him now. See, the people had been experiencing Jesus teaching as one who had authority, and now they're experiencing his authority in action, firsthand. It's easy to claim that you have authority. Maybe a little less easy to teach like you have authority, but it's another thing to be able to show your authority, especially over the spiritual realm. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Mark is showing us by telling us this. And what happens? The demon immediately leaves the man and checks out of the synagogue, kicking and screaming. Apparently, the demon even tried to harm the man as he left. Verse 26 tells us that he convulsed the man, which could be another way of saying he threw him to the ground. Apparently, I think what's going on there is the demon's trying to just hurt him if he can. At least he could do something before he leaves. But it's interesting, in Luke's account of this same story, it's almost word for word the same as Mark's, there's one little difference. In Luke 4... Luke tells us that, he gives us this little note that, and the man was not harmed. And I think that's huge. Because not only does Jesus have the authority to tell the demon, shut up and get out of here. you notice he never hear another word from that demon. As soon as Jesus says, shut your mouth, his mouth is shut. As soon as he tells him to leave, he's gone. But not only that, even as the demon tries to harm this man, the man is not even harmed. He can't even leave in the way he wants. Jesus even has authority over that. It's amazing. So not only does Jesus have authority to command demons, but he has authority and power to protect this man from this demon, even when the demon tries to harm him. It's magnificent. That's authority, brothers and sisters. That is kingly authority, kingly power. That's Holy Spirit power, power and authority that only God could exercise. And so already being astonished and shocked. People are naturally even more astonished at this point, even more shocked, even more overwhelmed. Mark tells us this in the remaining part of the passage. And it's interesting, as you hear this last part of the passage, the word that Mark uses for all here is an emphatic all. So when he says all, he's meaning literally every single person. And so we read in verse 27 and 28, and they were all, every single one of them, Amazed, So that they started an intense discussion among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And of course, at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all surrounding region of Galilee. Brothers and sisters, this is is our king. This is our savior. He commands even the demons, and they obey him. That's Jesus Christ. This is not a Jesus of sentimentalism or a Jesus of our fanciful imaginations or some weak, watered-down Jesus. This is Jesus, the Christ, the King, the Lord revealed in Holy Scripture, the unique Son of God the Father, who is co-equal with the Father, who possesses all of the divine attributes. This is Jesus Christ, who is eternal and immortal, who himself made everything and apart from whom nothing has been made, who when the time was right, was sent by the Father to be conceived by the Holy Spirit in the virgin's womb, and who was born as one of us so that he might redeem us from our sins. This is Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life, though tempted in every way as we are, and who is, therefore, a merciful and faithful mediator between us and God, who knows our weaknesses. This is Jesus Christ who preached the good news of his coming kingdom, who healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, and who showed the power of his authority by casting out of demons, and who welcomed to himself all people, prostitutes, tax collectors, self-righteous, the demon-possessed and the unrighteous. This is Jesus Christ who fulfilled all our requirements for righteousness, and in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, who willingly laid down his life, is our Redeemer, Take the wrath of God in our place on that bloody cross, taking the punishment that we so deserve so that we can have the righteousness that we don't deserve. This is Jesus Christ who cried in triumph from that same cross. It is finished. Who was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later was raised by the glory of the Father because death could not hold our King. And who now sits with the Father in heaven, waiting For that great day when the last and final enemy, death, will be made a footstool for his feet. He doesn't just have authority over demons. He has authority over death itself. This is Jesus Christ who continues as our mediator, who rules in sovereign majesty, who is gathering his church as his bride, and who will judge the living and the dead. This is Messiah Jesus whom we worship. He's my king. I would ask, is he yours? I know him. But do you? Don't be deceived, friends. The crowd was amazed by Jesus, that didn't save them. The demon himself knew who Jesus was. He believed that Jesus was king. That didn't save him. Intellectual acknowledgement is not enough to save you, only enough to damn you. James 2.19 says that you believe that God is one, you believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. See, it's not enough to just come to church to read the Bible and say, I agree with what it says. I agree that Jesus is a king. I agree. It's not enough. It's not even enough to obey Jesus. We saw the demon was obeying Jesus. He was forced to obey Jesus. He knew Jesus was king, and he obeyed Jesus as king. It's not enough. It's not enough. The devil could profess that Jesus is king, He knows. does nothing. So what we know is you must not just agree with Jesus. You must not just know who he is. Knowing facts about Jesus will not save you. You might have noticed that the demon was going to church. The demon was in church. Apparently, nobody knew that this guy was demon possessed because he was just sitting in church like every other person. Charles Spurgeon makes an interesting point on this passage. He says, Satan goes to church. Think about that for a second. Satan wants to deceive you. Satan isn't just trying to deceive people that are out there, you know, doing all sorts of crazy things. Satan is trying to deceive people in church. But Jesus has power over that. It's not enough to save you to go to church. It's not enough to save you to, I believe this. It's not, it's not what it is. See, friends, it's not just enough to know that Jesus is a king. You must know him as your king. It's not enough to know that Jesus is a king. You must know him as your king. must take hold of him by faith that's what faith does you see it doesn't take faith to say i agree jesus is king that sounds good he's king he's a savior no but it takes faith to say he's my savior i need him i need someone to pay the penalty for my sins i can't do it on my own i'm not good enough i am a sinner i need a savior jesus i trust in you that takes faith that's faith that's what places us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of jesus you must place your trust in him. Fall on your knees before him. See, that's what the demon didn't do. The demon had to obey Jesus, but he didn't submit to Jesus. He probably just went right out and started creating trouble again. But we must submit to Jesus, to his loving compassion. must say to Jesus, Jesus, without you I am condemned. Save me, Lord Jesus. That's the difference. See, Jesus is willing to accept all who come to him, all who come to him. He will not turn any away, is what he says. I will not turn away one person who comes to me. Because not only is Jesus the king, but he is the very one who rescues sinners from the kingdom of darkness. See, Jesus just isn't a king that just stands back and says, why don't you come to me? Jesus says, I'm coming for you. I will come to get you. That's what John tells us in John 1. He says that Jesus came and tabernacled among us, dwelt with us in the flesh. Paul tells us in Philippians that Jesus lowered himself by becoming a man in human flesh. That It was humiliating for God to take on human flesh, the person of Jesus Christ. He humiliated himself for us. So often I talk to people and hear people who are are so worried to come to Jesus because I have this or I have that or I've done this or I've done that. Friends, Jesus humiliated himself for you. There is nothing... That can hold you back from Jesus. He will not turn any away. Because not only is He King, He is the one who rescues sinners from the kingdom of darkness to His kingdom. He brings people into the kingdom of God. God's rule is here, friends, as we've seen. God's kingdom is here in the person of Jesus. Would you come into it today? Would you join me today in the family of God? Would you join me in worshiping our great King and Savior? He's calling some of you today to himself. I do believe that. Would you come? See, sometimes you might say, but I'm in darkness. But I say, I know one who walked into darkness to rescue people. You might say, there are demons in my life that I can't get rid of. I say, I know one who at his very name, demons tremble and before whom demons flee. You might say, but I have so much sin in my life. I've done so much horrible things. I say, I know one who paid for all of that that's Jesus. That's my king. It's our king. I pray today you would receive him as your king. And if you would bow before him today, that would be so. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for Jesus, Lord. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the testimony of scripture that tells us who he is, what he did. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, for anyone in this room who has darkness in their life, Lord, There may be people in this room right now who have experienced demonic activity, who have experienced the darkness that comes with that, Lord. There may be people in this room who are experiencing that right now. There may be spiritual battles waging right now, Lord. But, Lord, we know that in the name of Jesus, those demons flee, Lord. They flee. The truth breaks down those strongholds that they create, Lord. So I pray for those people here right now, anyone experiencing a spiritual battle like that, Lord, you cause that demon flee? Would you just cause those powers of darkness to run? The name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, Lord. You have power over those things. You've given that power to us, Lord. So we pray for that, Lord. Would you open people's eyes, Lord? Would you even today transfer people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your son, Jesus? Lord, I pray that those of us here who do know you, Lord, would you just help us to see your son, Jesus? in all his beauty, in all his glory, in all his authority, in all his kingly majesty, Father. Would you help us to bring into submission all areas of our lives to him, God? Not just because he's the king, Lord, but because as the king, he knows the best things for us, God. He desires our joy, the scriptures tell us, Lord. Would you help us to believe that today? Would you help us to fall on our knees before him and day by day, take up our cross and follow him. Day by day, put more and more and more and more of our trust in him. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who sees Jesus as a savior. Lord, that you would just open their eyes to see Jesus as their savior. Would you open their eyes to the need for that, Lord? Lord, may no one in this room leave today just resting on intellectual assent to the ideas of Christianity, Lord. But in submission to the very person of Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. We praise and worship you as God the Father who sent his son Jesus to us, anointed him with the Holy Spirit, who walked in power and who cast demons out before him, showing himself to be Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king, the Son of God. And it's in his name that we come before you, in his name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at faith at You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.